from PRX. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends beyond the binary. It's time for the podcast. This podcast makes you stay safe in the fire. On the top of the fire, it's really hot. On the bottom, it's cold. So please crawl. And don't forget, go outside. Yeah, in the. Hi, I'm Coach MK, founder of the Fitness Protection Program. I'm a run coach, not a life coach. We're never really talking about the running. Running is the tool, it's the conduit we use to examine the world we live in, as well as its impact on our own lives and the lives of the people around us. How we react to certain people and to certain stories tells us a lot about how we view ourselves. I'm committed to the thoughtful, intentional exploration of the importance of running so that no one discounts their own badassery, ever. Final note, this podcast is geared towards every runner who won't lose their home, livelihood, or health insurance if they show up to the corral with a hangover. Not that I'm encouraging you to do that, just saying. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the Fitness Protection Podcast. Hi. Hi. So that was dramatic. Uh, yeah. I'm so, so good to see you. You're alive. You're alive. <laughs> Yay. Oh. Yay. Well, I, I feel bad about kind of how it all came about. A little, you know, a little embarrassed, but also that we're that the when in these moments when I have feelings, because 20 years of therapy has taught me to look inside and be like, where did these feelings come from? Why am I embarrassed right now? I should be excited I don't have cancer. And which, you know, I, we don't know for sure that it don't, but I'll, I'll explain what that means in a minute. You know, all sides of important to very big and very bad. And this is, this is the rub and this is the conversation I really wanted to initiate about how we don't know how to talk about the intersection of body image and wellness, but you look fine. Oh, but you have cancer, but you're so pretty. Like where, where, where does this begin? And how doctors have dismissed me for over a year of like, oh, it's really hard being over 40. And I'm like, no, bitches, something's wrong, y'all. Something's wrong. And finally, um, after being, I, I'm glad I went to get my pelvis to say to my pelvic floor PT, I think something's off. And she's like, yeah, what's off is not muscular. You need to go see. And I already had um, my yearly physical lined up anyway. Um, so if go get your yearly physical, you guys, and push. And if your doctor doesn't listen to you, go find a doctor who will get a new doctor. This is why um, a lot of uh, cancers of lady business aren't caught until they're too late. Everything looks like menopause because anything that's going wrong, we just kind of write it off and sweep it under uh, one big rug. There was a story that I read about how ovarian cancer is in fact not the silent killer, uh, not even close. Like if that's, a, that's misogyny in medicine at work where... Yes, that could be nothing, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't examine it to make sure that it's nothing. And it all kind of, all of this escalated from a simple pelvic exam. So to back up a little bit, to let everybody know kind of like how we even got to this point, I went for my yearly physical. I was, I was fully, I'd been deteriorating, sounds again, dramatic. I'd been getting better for a while and then I wasn't. Like I've had 10 extra pounds that I can't lose. I know that my hormones are off and not to make it about the weight, but my body wasn't responding 
in multiple ways, the most obvious of which was the additional 10 pounds. I'm not that person that's had trouble losing the last 10 pounds for a variety of reasons. I'm exhausted. I'm not getting up to get my run done first thing in the morning, which I have never done. Remember, I started running because I'm a pain in the ass that's wide awake at 5.15 every morning. Mom's like, go with your father. So like, this is not, I've never needed an alarm. I worked on, on Wall Street as a trader. I was up every day. If I woke up and saw the sun, I had a panic attack because it meant I overslept. And I, to this day, I still kind of like do that. So to, to have to, I shouldn't have to explain all that to a person, to be to, to a doctor, especially to be like, this is abnormal. Maybe this is part of aging, but this is all, like, you don't fall off a cliff when you turn 40. I'm falling off a cliff. Something like my, my joints have been, the laxity has been increasing and this has been marked since March. But when I mention it, oh, you know, getting old is hard. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of that. And so I had been blaming the Morena and I was fully prepared. I initiated, um, I reached out to my GP to get on the schedule for the yearly physical because I thought what I was going to say was I've been exploring ways to get off of Morena and thinking like maybe my IUD is the problem because everyone I talk to, no one says, oh, I love Morena. Everyone's like, I turned into a psychopath. I, I this went wrong and that went wrong. And I'm, I'm, I've never heard anyone be like, my IUD is missing thing ever. So I thought, well, maybe it's the Morena, but there, medically there's no science to support that Morena being problematic in this particular instance with any of my symptoms. And that's what I kept getting. Like, you're just getting older. It's not the Morena, but absent the expiration. So finally I went back to see my GP and I forgot why I like her so much. Uh, she had not implanted the Morena, but she was the first one to be like, okay, well, let's take a look at your pelvis. Right, you're going to get an ultrasound like today. I'm going to call in the order now. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, it's nice to be taken seriously. And I got the ultrasound later that afternoon. And one thing I know for sure from my experience working, like having things go really, really wrong. Remember, like my, my life turned upside down with my dad's heart attack when I was six. And then, and then again, right before his transplant into, into his full heart transplant in 2006, it was the medicine does not move quickly unless it's urgent, because there's a lot of need. So when it's usually like, okay, this could be a problem, we're going to get you on the schedule to get testing, and that's going to take two or three weeks. And we're going to send your labs off, and that's going to take two to three weeks. And everything takes two to three weeks. And so start to finish, it can take like two months to get a diagnosis. That's not odd. When things move faster than that, it's not a good thing. You'd never want to be interesting to a doctor. During the course of that ultrasound, three different doctors walked through the room went mm, and walked back out. And that, again, that not normal. You see a tech, you see nobody else. Like when a tech is like, is flagging and then gets not one, but two confirmations, I'm like, shit. So that I walk out and they're like, okay, you need to go see your doctor. There's something inside. We're going to need an MRI to confirm it and to come up with a surgical pathway, but that thing cannot stay inside you. And I'm like, what is that thing? And they said a word, a very big word. It's probably Latin. I didn't study Latin. I'm like, why did I have to be born to my parents in Tennessee where we don't learn Latin? Because I need it in this moment. Um, and I didn't do well on the ACT because Latin, you know, elitist bullshit. But I, 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 I kind of like try to make a joke out of it. And I, I leave and I get my, they say, we're going to call to schedule the MRI. And you'll probably hear from us in the next day or two. It'll take some time to clear your insurance, I'm sure. I get in the car. I check my email. I turn the car on. And because I'm not that person that's going to turn the car on, then check my email while somebody's waiting. By the way, if you're that person, don't be that person because people see taillights and they think you're going to yeah, back out. Yep, yep. So being incredibly courteous, like I fucking do, that's when my phone rang and they were like, we're scheduling your MRI. I'm like, whoa, oh, man. that's not okay. That's serious. Yeah. yeah. 
So I bet, but at this point I'm like, so this is kind of a big deal. I'm like, mind if I ask what they're looking for? And I got a bit more of an explanation. And so in the realm of things that could be growing in your vagina at any given moment, there is a whole spectrum. Don't Google it. It's scary. But there of that entire spectrum of things, there are three that are always linked or so ovarian cancer um, can only be in three of those things. So the universe, genus, all the things that could be growing there, three of them, they're not always cancer, but cancer is all, ovarian, ovarian cancer is always linked with one of these three types of growth. And so we can't say it's not cancer until it's out and biopsied for sure. But what they were saying in a, in a very roundabout way, what they needed the MRI to confirm, and I didn't understand this. So this is where I left thinking this is my last normal weekend, going to take all the selfies. I was like, you know, we don't know what we're going to see when we do the MRI, but they found something in my ultrasound. What if it's in my liver? What if it's in, what if there's a pathway of cells? You know this all way too well, I'm sure, from your experience with your mom. What they're looking for in that MRI is the pathway to see if the thing has spread. So what the MRI said, and at this point, I hadn't felt the need to really share. Okay, I love you too. I hadn't really, sorry. We, we can leave that in the podcast. It just, it just makes life <laughs> uh, My husband works from home on Fridays and he's part of the story too. So I, I didn't completely understand that. I didn't Google it. I didn't want to think about it, but um, I had to tell my husband, this this might be our last normal weekend. Let's try to make it as normal as possible. And we just did. I didn't, I, at some point, someone's going to put two and two together that I'm not running. And that that happened. And I got some notes because the only time really in the past three years that I've, I've gone more than two days without something on Strava, it has been when shit hit the fan. So that and uh, that I, I started getting the first pings and that's when I knew I needed to talk to you and say, hey, by the way, since you face all the clients, I'm not going to answer any of these questions until I'm quite sure I'm not leaving you, you know, twisting in the, in the wind for, for, you know, you just quit Harvard to come work for someone that might be dying of cancer, FYI. Um, is that going to be weird for you to like answer questions about that? Thanks. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, whatever, I knew that whatever, uh, however I communicated next, I'm kind of torn. You can't put your business on Facebook then complain when people notice it. Um, and Strava is really the same thing. So knowing this is going to happen, I'm like, I don't want to hide it. I don't want to lie about it. And I shouldn't have to not say anything until I know it's something. Like how many people right now are listening to this? They're like, yep, I feel that. We're waiting for results for my mom, results for my son, results for my husband, results for me. And I can't say anything because if I do, you know, I don't know for sure there's something to worry about. Everyone's going to dismiss this as invalid or not listen to me. And if I do talk about it and doesn't happen, they'll be like, see, you worried for nothing thing, which makes it harder to listen to me the next time I'm worried about something. And by the way, th- these worries are legit. When a doctor, a doctor would not, doctors are not even behaving the way they did if they, there wasn't a, a legit reason the past few days. Doesn't mean I'm dying, but they can't assure me that there's no cancer either. And there's no way to biopsy it because the second you stick a needle or scrape some or scrape it, then you could have made it metastasized. So that's why we're going to have surgery quickly. We're going to take it out. And then they're like, in all likelihood, this is not cancer, but we can't promise you it isn't until it's out of your body. So I, I, I explained that to you. And then you were like, well, what do we say? And I'm like, you know, say what's in your heart here. I, the thing I want people to remember is the beauty that I took away from this weekend. And that's take the selfie. And that sounds a little trite, you know, I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, everybody live like you're not, I don't want to, you know, be that person either. But I know that these are the moments when I'm like, you know, fuck yeah, I don't give a shit what you think. I'm taking the selfie. I think about all the things I'll never be able to share with my children prior to 2007. Because I mean, it was, you know, not to say a crisis, but it was a real reflection over the weekend of like, what is the worst case scenario? And 
I need to prepare for it because what if it is? What if I walk away from all this thinking, sure, it's not cancer, and then it is because it could be. And it still could be. We don't know. It's still inside me. But that is the evolution of how all this happened. And then when I got a couple more emails from people saying, haven't seen you on Strava, are you okay? I was like, okay, let's talk to Sarah. Here's my podcast. Are you okay with me putting it out there? Are you still going to be able to talk to people every day after I put this out there? You know, I'd be sensitive to your family history as well. Am I asking too much of you? Can you quit your job and not get paid for a really long time until we're making some money and do this? (laughs) No big deal. Yeah, you. And I want to say you've been amazing, by the way. I loved, um, I, I, I'm, I could not be more grateful or more, you know, and maybe it sounds condescending to say, I'm really proud of you, Sarah, but I really am just like, you handled this so beautifully and so well. And this is why I get so angry at like, women aren't infants and we aren't weak. We're the opposite of weak. Being able to adult through this week the way you did is the ultimate sign of strength. Even if you went in your bathroom and cried for a bit as you relived, relived and felt feelings and talked to people and, and went through this same, the fact that like, why shouldn't you, why should you have been like forced if you want to go sit in the bathroom and cry, that's one thing, but why should you be forced to not talk about it? Like, why should we not share these moments and be like, Hey guys, guess what? I'm scared. Not every monster isn't real, you know? And so when we're invalidating, we're effectively denying people the catharsis to think and prepare. And I know when I wrote that podcast, I was like really reflecting on how cool my life is. Because I looked at the girl in the photo with Allison, um, who was, she had cancer, by the way, that was, uh, she was, her, her remission was confirmed in that photo I put up on Facebook, the girl that was my best friend for a decade after we met in Tokyo. And I I remember like that person when I showed up to her party that night and thinking like, God, I'm never going to have a boyfriend. And I just left everything behind. And I've started this really great school and how confused I was at 28 and how unhappy I was at 29 and how my life looks nothing like I feared it would look like back then and how beautiful it is now and how I've lived longer than I expected. And I don't think I would be this grateful if I hadn't been this scared. So why the fuck would I deny anyone the, the, the catharsis, the fear to get the gratitude, to get the perspective and you know, you, you feel what you feel and that's fine. But like there, if we treat all negative, all emotions, all as something negative and something to be shut down and all worries as equally invalid, don't think about that now, then we're, 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 we're not, we're delaying a very important conversation that I think is exactly what you and I want to give people the space to have. Maybe you don't put it on your Facebook page, but you can say it in our Facebook group. You don't have to put it in our Facebook group. We're not worried about people who aren't sharing. I'm not anyway, but I want, if there's something like I'm having trouble running this week, cause I'm waiting on on medical results. Cool. I'm not running this week because I'm not worried about it. It hurts. Running right now doesn't feel good. So why am I going to worry about falling behind when they're going to cut my abdomen open anyway? You know what? I had butt surgery after Shiloh was born and New York was fine. Maybe this won't be a perfect marathon, but it's going to be a whole lot better than it would be if I kind of forced things right now for fear of what could happen later. So, so, and then yesterday we got the confirmation that, you know, there's no good reason you know, we got the final MRI read and the final step in this whole process. And the thing that we were waiting for was we needed a final read of the MRI and some blood work to confirm that the surgery can be performed by an OBGYN and not handed over to the oncology department. Cause once you're handed, that is what you, that's the result you don't want right. where like you're leaving regular medicine and, and now everything is handled by the cancer ward. And that was the call we were waiting for. So I am not being handled by the cancer ward. I am being handled by a person with Onco- oncological, ontological, ontological, ontological training. Not ontological. <laughs> oh my god! 
with Black Latin. So it was with training in oncology. Let's put it that way. Someone with uh, on, yes, and experience she had done. I don't know, but it it was separate. It, not concurrent to her role as an OBGYN, but mm-hmm. so, um, and that was, that was sheer luck. I happened to have a very, which is why she didn't really pay attention when I was like, I think the is a problem. And she's like, yeah, you're fine. Cause she's so used to saying all the outliers, all the more yeah. reason for you guys to go see a GP to get, cause I shudder to think if I had started there, how long this could have gone before it would have been found. So go, go get your annual physical even if it's a little bit scary. Sorry if I scared everyone, but this is what we were at yesterday. I was fully, like the second I heard oncology in my ear on the phone, I that was when I broke and was like, wow, this is really happening. This is really happening. They would not tell me that this was going to happen if they didn't think this was likely to be the result. They wouldn't scare me like that. And I know this again, because I've been on the, I went through this with my friend, Allison. She was living with me through her diagnosis. I went through this with my own family. I've been through, the, this is not my first rodeo. And so my, when they don't say things unless they're preparing you for the worst. And I was fully prepared to be like, Hey, guess what, Sarah, I've been handing off to oncology. You know what that means. And it's in my ovaries. Like I was not expecting anything pretty yesterday. So I'm not going to, I do apologize if this was triggering for anyone, but I can't, if I'm not preaching what I practice, if I'm not giving myself the same space to be like, Hey, guess what? And living it, then how in the world are you ever going to trust it or me? And I think, I feel like that that's important. You know, like you don't have to hide anything here. I'm not here to lean on you guys. I got a great support system, but it all kind of starts with, with what I'm willing to put on you, Coach Sarah. And once again, you've, I don't, I can only imagine what this week has been like for you, but you've been amazing. Well, thank you. I, I mean, I've just been, I've just been sitting here listening to you say all these things and I, and, and many of the, you know, I've, I've, you've walked me through some of it before. This is, this is the first like real start to finish conversation where it's all been laid out step by step. And God, I mean, I can't imagine, I can't imagine how terrifying that must've been for you personally. And I, I, I was really grateful to you for, for sharing with me as soon as you did. I was grateful that you wanted me to be part of the conversation about how we talk to our people about this. And, you know, I, you're, you are always, you are always so, so considerate of me, my emotional space and my physical space. You, you are always very careful not to, not to overstep. And, you know, and I, I mean, of course, you know, that this, that of course it's, it's triggering for me, but you know, I, the, when people talk about being triggered by things, I think that often the immediate assumption when I say I'm triggered by something, someone thinks, oh, I shouldn't have said that or like, oh, that was bad that that came up. And that's really not how I think of it. To me, when I am triggered by something, what that's doing for me is it's making me kind of go inside and be like, where's that coming from? Let's let's think about that. Um, so like when I, there was a mantra that I did at this point a couple of months ago um, about a sentence in Peter Sagel's book about charity runners for the Boston Marathon and like, oh, just, you know, pledge to raise some money for a charity and you get a bib. Easy, right? And I was like, what the fuck, Peter Sagel? I was... Like, I was like hyperventilating at this. My, my husband was like, are you okay? <laughs> We're like in bed reading and I'm just going this, fuck this book. <laughs> um, and you know, not fuck this book the, there are plenty of nice things in that book. It's called the incomplete book of running. And there were plenty of things that I liked about it, but yeah, man, like that set me off. And when something sets me off, so actually, Peter Sable and I had a little exchange on Twitter about that, interestingly enough. And his first reaction to me, like specifically citing the sentence in his book, 
as I discussed the podcast in a series of Twitter posts, he was like, oh, but you know that I just said that. So I was going to disavow it. Right. And I was like, and then he, he went no. on to, he, he went on to say that he didn't exactly disavow it. Um, but he went on to, you know, say people are too sensitive and da, da, da. people don't read at the end of things. He had like, he had like a little bit like, of a rant. And I was like, like, okay. Ironic, you're saying all this even though you clearly haven't listened to the mantra or written the company piece. (laughs) Click the link. Click the link, bro, if you're going to come at me. Um, (gasps) He came at me a little bit. And I was like, listen, when I say I was triggered by that, what I mean is that it made me really think about where that was coming from. And that I, I was not saying that I deserve never, I deserve to walk through the world never being triggered, quite the opposite. And thinking about thinking about you this week and what what you must be going through and what you mean to me and what it would mean for me to lose you in any way, which, you know, I wasn't really willing to admit to myself that I was scared of losing you until I was listening to a podcast called Zigzag that I really love. And there was a woman talking about having lost a really close friend to cancer that had just come out of nowhere. And she she was dead less than two months later. I just, it hit me really hard that, that it, deep inside me, I was holding on to a very big amount of worry about what was going to happen to you. And, and it, it, it comes from a place that's very understandable there. I do have a lot of family history with cancer, not just with my mom, but obviously my mom is the major, the, the major piece of history that affects everything about how I live my life. I think I said in our first or second episode of this podcast that, you know, that, that is my defining trauma. That is what happened to me that, that affects everything about what I have done ever since then. And nothing, nothing that I do, especially nothing that I do related to running, related to writing, can, will, will ever not be affected by having lost my mom to cancer, but having, having cause to kind of think about all, all of the, all that has come out of that, all of, like you were saying, you know, this, this made you live your weekend, taking all of the selfies in a way that you otherwise would not have. That fear gave rise to something in you that made you reflect on all the things that you have. And I, I I think it's, it's easy to say that in a, in a trite way or to mean it in a trite way or to kind of, you know, just put it out there and then not really say what you mean by it, but you have said what you mean by it. And, and I think that it's, it's a really, really important sentiment to explore and to give voice to. And when, when we were texting one of these past few days and and you said what you just said a few minutes ago about how cool your life is and how much you're loved and how much you've built and, and all the things that you had that you never thought you would, I thought to myself, God, me too. Like I really, if, if, if the one thing that's, that's going to make me stop and realize that I'm creating things in this world that I'm going to, I'm going to be proud to leave behind someday, then at least I get to reflect on that. At least I have a moment to look at my life and say, wow. And the last thing I'll say, which I said, I think when I, when I shared that mantra on Instagram, so my mom died in the year 2000. If you Google her name, there are two search results. And one of them is a dedication to her in the preface of a book that her dear friend, who I actually just had lunch with today, that her dear friend wrote. And the book has nothing to do with her. It's a book about management. It's a great book, actually, even though I... That's, it's not my area, but because it was her friend, I read it. It's, it's a lovely you book. Made it is in your area. <laughs> I mean, <gasps> I read it. It sure was. And I read it to be a nice friend, but I should go back and revisit it because 
Um, her name is Joan Magretta, and she went to Harvard Business School with my mom, and she is a wonderful, kick-ass person who had a health scare of her own in the last few months, and I've been a little worried about her too, but she's doing much better now. That, that was, I was so grateful to her for having dedicated her book to my mom because that was one of two Google search results for my mom's name. She just, she, she died in an age where people did not have internet footprints. And in order to create some sort of a digital lasting memory to her, my father scanned photo after photo after photo to put them on this MSM community's website. And the, the website no longer exists, but because he scanned all those photos and because all of us hungrily downloaded them from the website for ourselves, I now have them on my laptop. I have them in my Dropbox. So I have them wherever I can sign into Dropbox from there, always there. But we had to go out of our way to create that. And I'm really glad that we did. And I wish that there were more, you know, I really do. The thing that has stuck with me the most is when you talk about how you don't know your mom's personality, what she would have been like as a mom and as a friend at this age to kind of guide who, how you are in in your relationships and your marriage and with Ross. And it was a throwaway comment that you made because it's always throwaway comments that that stick in our brains, right? The ones that we don't think of where I'm like, that resonated with you? Okay, 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 let's let's explore that. 20 years therapy, let's explore that. That's great. But the thing that I got to thinking about was the thing that has defined who I am that's always got me in trouble. You know, it's, it's having such a different perspective everywhere I go. I thought I was broken. And it's like, or maybe... I'm on a mission from God. And maybe that makes me a delusion of grandeur, but maybe I'm more important than I thought I was. Maybe I do matter. Maybe I need to leave a record of this voice behind. Maybe the podcast was just a start. When I kind of not not quit, but scaled back from lifetime run to devote more time to the other contract position that I had at the time, I remember my runner saying to me, but but what about us? He's going to take care of us. I'm like, I'm still going to take care of you. It's just going to be, I can't do this drive all the time. And I'm like effing busy. So I had to find that was where the podcast came from. Morning Mantra was to make sure they still got a little dose of Coach MK, even if they couldn't have as much of me as they wanted. Because a lot of them just didn't identify with the other brand. They couldn't participate in the programs. And a lot of them don't live near lifetime. So it's like, where is my place if it's not through these two channels? I'm like, I need a different entry point. And then when, and leaving that last room behind was really hard. It's like, well, who is going to do this for me? Who's going to, I remember say, someone said to me on the phone in tears, who's going to love me? I'm like, I'm never going to stop loving you. Coached and loved is like fucking forever. Oh my God, but no one talks to me the way that you do. And that is something I've heard a lot so consistently now over the past year. No one talks to me the way that you do. No one hears me when I speak. Nope. You so it's like, wow, I do serve a purpose. I do fill a void. I am not done. You are not done. We got fucking work to do. And clearly, you know, I'm on, I'm on a mission from God because guess what? I don't have cancer. Or I'm just gonna keep operating on the assumption that I don't. We got things to do, we've got work to deliver. Um, I want a much wider body of work left behind before I leave this earth, one that I think could guide my children through adulthood if they have to get through adulthood without me. Those touch points, what would my mother have said in this moment? They will know because there will be a mantra for that. Right now I have somewhere in the vicinity of 210 mantras, and I'm like that's not a mantra for every occasion, but that's only doing this since what October of last year. That's, you know, three, that's nine months. Like, give me what, if we continue with this, then maybe there will be a mantra for every occasion by the time Violet is old enough. So not to live like I'm dying, but to make sure 
that I, I am leaving a legacy, not about I will continue. It's not about a vanity project of being important after I've gone. It's about recognizing the responsibility I have to the humans I created, to the person who quit Harvard to be here, to the people that have locked into the way I do things and making sure that there is something that will continue and that I continue to lock in on and do that thing and perform it. So yeah, you know what? Maybe I, I scared everyone unnecessarily, or maybe I recognize the responsibility I have to everyone in this relationship. And I prefer the latter and always will. Yeah, me too. Me too. Because, you know, the, uh, from, from my side of things, like I didn't, I I haven't like told other people in my life for the most part until really this morning running with Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Um, I haven't really talked about how all of this has made me feel because yeah, it's like, well, but you know, it's, it's, it's hard to explain to someone who is not here, who is not in this, what you, what you mean to me, the relationship that we have and, and what you mean to, to this community and kind of, and how my own personal history intersects with, with this crisis that you've been going through. It's hard to explain. And, and I, and I don't really feel invited to talk openly about these things very much. I mean, this is my own husband and I still struggle with kind of, creating space in our relationship for me to talk about my grief because it is not something that he was ever really used to before before me and we have been together for what we will be married 10 years next year and we've been together for 15 almost and this is this is still something that we have to work on it does not come naturally to us it doesn't come naturally to me to say hey I'm really sad and I need to talk about it and I need this to be about me right now and it doesn't come naturally to him to be like hey you know I you you must be feeling sad about your mom this week I see you're sad you know why don't you talk to me about that and and it is the sort of thing where I have to be willing to be like hey eyes on me this is what I need from you right now and we're getting better at it, but it's, it, it is, I, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the, the example that you set by being, being open with people about your fears, it has created a space for me to also be, be triggered and look inward, you know, and make something out of that. Uh, and that is, that, that's so incredibly valuable to me on a personal level. And I, and I think, you know, when we both know that it's not just me that finds it very valuable. And I, and I, and again, I see that as a responsibility and it's one I take seriously. If you and I are really going to have this conversation on ongoing long conversation that we want to have about, you don't know what wellness looks like. You don't know what health looks like. And you never knew what strong looks like. I would postulate that we don't know what weak looks like either. It's not the person crying in the corner. Um, it takes a lot of strength to get there, a lot of strength to sit with those emotions. It's a lot easier to shut them down, shut down the conversation and walk away. I would argue that. looking, being fine, performing fine, that is the real weakness. There are moments when you're going to have to do that and trudge through that moment, but what do you do next? Shutting it down, we're just creating a nation of sociopaths, of psychopaths. Um, The emotion does not lessen a situation. Knowing how to deal with those emotions means you're going to deal with those situations in a better way. And my final note on this is that as a manager, it's really easy to say, well, you're not responsible for serious feelings. I'm like, I'm responsible for a human who's put her trust in being here. And I, it is not hard to be like, hey, there's this thing happening. It could affect you. What do we do? Because if we don't have that conversation, you know who it suffers? The business. I would argue it is lazy, crappy, terrible management to not give a shit about your client facing direct reports ever. Yeah. I have a book about management and I'm sure it says that in there. 
just saying everybody's human, give them space to be humans and they will, and you're going to, you're going to retain loyalty. So even if you're doing it from that evil edge of like, if I'm really nice now, I'll get more from her later. Who cares? You know what? Just being nice. It never hurts you to be nice. And if someone's taking advantage of it, that's a different thing. But we live in a world now where you don't have to be physically present to do most of the work that we do. That most of the work that we produce does not have to happen between the hours of nine and five. And if you're in one of those, if you're managing workflows in one of those places, as long as the work gets done, hopefully someday we get back to a point of who cares how, because you have all the tools to do it whenever you want. No one goes home at five o'clock and shuts it off. No one. We're going to have to shut this off, unfortunately. I've got to go. You're, you're going to be well. I've got to go get needles stuck in me and get drain some of the fluid out of my leg. Um, Hashtag with, wellness. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. If you guys could see my legs, my left leg is, is, is um, I now look like there's something wrong because this is how long it's gone. My, my, my uh, abdomen is really swollen. I can't eat anything. I have no appetite because anything, I, this, 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 this thing that's growing is so large now. I look about four months pregnant and this kind of came out of nowhere. I'm back and I'm like, I burned my maternity pants and I'm now wearing pajamas everywhere. Yay me. And this Roz would fucking love that. Roz <laughs> fucking love that. She is team wear pajamas everywhere all day, every day. And I better not tell her because then she'll be like, when do I get to have, when do I get to have growth on my ovary? Yay. When you turn 30. <laughs> <laughs> not till you're older sweetheart we'll talk about it later later <laughs> all right go go get your acupuncture go take care of yourself we love you we love you too and again my apologies to everyone but you know hopefully you you this is this is the what and the why i'm really glad the announcement i made yesterday was not the one i had intended to make i still feel i stand by the way we went around this. No one should have to suffer in silence. I feel there's too much pressure on women. We're judged by how little we could. There's a difference between complaining and acknowledging. And, you know, I, I, I don't I haven't complained about any of this. It is what it is. That's just not how I look at things. Um, but you should have space to talk about the things that scare you without being seen as whiny or weak or a complainer. Like there's a it- queen. You can acknowledge what's happening and still be stoic. You know, sometimes the sky is falling and I'll be chicken little to the day I die. Hell yeah. I'm on chicken little's team because they're going to find the shelter first. I'm just saying good luck getting on the ark when the rain starts. (laughs) Doors closed. (laughs) This is the best team ever. Be on this team forever, everybody. Yay! Your coach, your love. Let's go win at definitely not having cancer, but surgery is going to happen right after the hills starts and the new Queer Eye season drops and the brand new Stranger Things. I'm not losing, and neither are you. Hell no. So y'all know that I'm obsessed with Still Processing, the New York Times podcast with Jenna Wortham and Wesley Morris. If you felt a little lost during their summer hiatus, I have the solution. Dear White Women, a comfortable space for uncomfortable conversations about race, identity, and parenting. Hosts Sarah and Misasha are mixed-race badasses with one Japanese immigrant parent each, who bonded 20 years ago when they walked out of a racial identity discussion at Harvard. Misasha is married to a black man from the South, and Sarah is married to a white Canadian dude. Both ladies are committed to making the world a safer place for their mixed-race children. If you love unpacking thorny issues as much as I do, you're going to love this podcast. It's excellent.
I'm biased for sure. I've known Sarah for 20 years, and we've been having really uncomfortable conversations ever since. Like the time I offered to promote her podcast, and she said, Oh, cool. Are you starting a podcast? <clears throat> I may be biased, but I am not wrong. Dear White Women belongs in your queue, even if I will never be in Sarah's. Start with the one about the recent college admission scandal. New episodes drop every Wednesday on iTunes. I'm Sarah. And I'm Misasha. We're setting us up to have conversations about topics we don't typically find people having every day. Things that might make us feel uncomfortable about race, identity, happiness, and privilege, just to name a few. We'll be looking at both systemic and personal biases through different lenses like history and psychology. But why does this matter? Because there's proof that we rise by lifting others, and we can't do it alone. We need your help. Listen in to find out how. Well, there you go. Check out Dear White Women, a comfortable space for uncomfortable conversations about race, privilege, and parenting. New episodes drop each Wednesday on iTunes, but you can go deeper into each topic on their website, www.dearwhitewomen.com. Again, that's www.dearwhitewomen.com.